Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? Were those guys really in hell the whole time or was that just the audience? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Each episode, a guest and I will choose a celebrated series from history, from the 70s to the streaming era and beyond, and do a deep dive on its very last episode. Was it all a dream? Did it turn into a nightmare? And most importantly, what can we learn about tomorrow's new shows from the way yesterday's ended? TV is a journey. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast about the destination. Starting January 17th, find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. Yay! I am Justin Barrier. Joining me as always, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. We're trying things here, Rob. Yeah, in the spirit of a post-game interview, Justin, can you walk me through your thinking there? Like, what what, what was going <laughs> through your head? You know, I listen to these podcasts. And they all have these like distinct openings that everyone could expect uh, and anticipate. And I'm like, we need something. I'm not sure we found it yet, but we need something. You don't think it's you doing your own crowd noise? <laughs> it could be. I'm actually prepping for the live show is what I'm doing. You know, that's hey. when the roar of the crowd will just envelop us. Mm. Speaking of distinct um, podcast introductions, um, welcome to the Low Post. Saw Zach Lowe at the LA Clippers game yesterday. And oh, yeah. He gave our show a lot of props. He said he likes our show. He listens to it all the time. So big shout out to one of the gods of the game, Zach Lowe, um, who's a group chat fan, apparently. Yeah, appreciate it, Zach. Put it on the cover, you know? We'll put it on the little art oh, for the yeah. podcast. We, we need Zach more Lowe. blurbs around here. Good podcast. <laughs> 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 Pretty good content. Yeah. Well, speaking about the live show a few minutes ago, 
HiFiIndie.com. Make sure you're still getting those tickets. All-Star Saturday night. Your boys on this podcast. Isaiah will be there. All the greats and Jake Hallman will be joining us. So uh, make sure you're getting those tickets. All right. Before we get into Waz's hot night at the Clippers game, we have for the second week in a row an interruption to this podcast, which means, Rob, will you please hit the siren? (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful as always. Uh, We got a trade that we have kind of been monitoring after last night's uh, reports were kind of indicating that this might be close, but we indeed have the Pascal Siakam trade that honestly we have been anticipating for probably this entire NBA season. He goes to the Indiana Pacers, joins forces with Tyrese Halliburton to score a ton of points. Uh, In return, the Pacers are sending Bruce Brown Jr., Jordan Noara and three first round picks to the Toronto Raptors. New Orleans also jumps in this deal. Uh, they're sending Kyra Lewis to the Raptors. Indy gets a second round pick as a result of the dance there. Uh, Rob, first thoughts here. What, what do you think about the deal? I think my first thought is just that Indy finally pulled the trigger on a deal we've been expecting, not just this season, as you said, Justin, but really for multiple years now in terms of them making a deal that would put them over the top, that would round out their roster. When I went to spend some time with the Pacers in preseason to write that Halliburton story, I've written a lot of those preseason stories before. This was the first time a team was just blatantly open about the fact that they didn't have enough yet that they weren't ready yet, that they were young, that they had a lot of room to grow, but there was so like, there was such a clear need at the four and no one was shying away from that. And so to see them fulfill it with the player who has always made a ton of sense for them and will now make them, you know, 15 to 20% spicier. That's a win for all of us. I think. Yeah. This is one of those deals where, you know, Rob loves the trade machine. Um, as you guys all know, uh, but this, this Siakam I, I, deal, I, I cannot abide this turn to my personal brand was, <laughs> I, I hate, I look in the mirror and I hate what I've become, <laughs> but this has been a trade machine match made in heaven for at least like a year and a half now. Um, where people have been shoehorning Siakam to Indy. Like, just this, this is the match made in heaven. This is the destination that made the most sense when you talk about team and where they are in their building right now, uh, what they're trying to build towards, the, ki- the kind of guy who fits with their youth, their style, um, who's complementary to the most important guy on the team, which is Halliburton. Uh, this was just such the obvious. Though everybody has made this deal. <laughs> and so that it actually came to fruition is really cool to see. And obviously, we can't wait to see how it looks on the court because Indiana was already in my personal top five league pass rankings um, before this deal. And they're only going to shoot up after it because uh, I think they're going to continue to play an excited brand of ball. And I want people to understand that Pascal Siakam is a legitimate all-star player, a legitimate winner, man. This guy does all of the small things, and he does stuff that a lot of guys can't do. He gets to the basket with reckless abandon. He will get to the free throw line. He has positional versatility on defense and offense. He shoots it. He runs in transition. Like, he does... He rebounds it. (laughs) Like, this guy, he can actually spark the break off of a rebound. Like, this guy, there's so many things. He's going to be a menace in the dribble handoff game. Like, he is 
such a high quality player. And I get it. He's in Toronto. Um, they don't get the most attention um, as far as media attention and stuff like that. I guess the GM does anyway, but they don't get that much attention. So like a lot of people aren't in tune with what Siakam brings to the table, but this guy is going to be an immediate upgrade. This is not going to be a neutral add to the situation. The Pacers just got much better today and their fans, the players in that in that organization, the coaches should all be excited for it. Yeah, credit the Pacers for not waiting on this because we had seen leading Slow. up to this some some dance happening about Siakam not wanting to sign with other teams because he's a free agent over the offseason. He had some leverage uh, in these negotiations. The Kings, first and foremost, were reported to be suitors, but uh, he reportedly didn't want to resign there. The fit, though, for the Pacers just seems so perfect because he counterbalances everything that they need while still fitting into what they do so well. He can run, but he's going to give you the defensive oomph and the physicality I think they've lacked this season, Robin. So uh, you got to give it to the Pacers for... The, we could talk about what they paid for it, but it seems like they're not going to wait because they recognize how ready to run Halliburton is right now. Well, when he gets back from injury, but when, when he's healthy, they are ready to be kind of interesting in this Eastern Conference race. Well, that's worth noting off the top. We're going to have to wait a minute to see Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam together at the very least. Halliburton's still out with that hamstring strain. He's due to be reevaluated in a week. We'll see. You know, soft tissue injuries can linger for sure. It could be longer than that. Regardless, having Pascal Siakam makes that proposition easier. He's going to be thrown into the deep end in terms of being on a new team with new terminology, new teammates, new system. But a player who's that talented, a guy who can legitimately, as you said, was do a bit of everything. That's something Indiana hasn't had. And it's something that's going to make them a lot more solvent until Tyrese gets back. And it's going to make them a lot more exciting when he finally does. Because if you ran down the list of what the Pacers needed at the four, in terms of size, a quality defender, a secondary creator, a guy who can play with pace, a guy who's versatile enough to fit what they do offensively. That list of forwards is much, much smaller than you think. And Pascal Siakam is usually at the very top of it in terms of the guys who fit all those criteria and could be potentially gettable and are immensely talented. So just really a perfect fit for Indiana's style, really a perfect fit for their culture. And as far as veteran guys go, a player who hasn't yet turned 30, has a lot of NBA experience and NBA miles, but is in the right bracket age-wise for what they want to do and be over these next couple seasons. Well, we should talk about that, Waz, because that's one of, if there is like a concerned trolley aspect to this, is that Siakam is getting older in age, and he's also played a lot of hard minutes under Nick Nurse, who doesn't really pay mm -hmm. much attention to people's knees. Uh I assume, considering that Siakam reportedly, Woj has a report that he is eager to work out a deal with the Pacers, so he'll probably have five years tacked on to that. That's 30 to, AKA, to 35, basically. He's got a deal in hand sure. with the Pacers. Do you have any concerns that this young, fun, running team is going to add someone who, not on the back end of his career now, but certainly isn't going to get better from here? No, I have no concerns because I listen to Kenny Rogers. I'm sorry. You're not the <laughs> Lakers. You're not the Heat. You're not um, some marquee franchise that Luka Doncic or, you know, some supernova talent is going to force his way to your team. In order for you to acquire talent, you have to do it in ways that aren't always 
perfect, crystal clear, you know, easy to sell, easy to ingest deals. Sometimes you got to take a risk. You got to put your chips in the table, Justin. And so, no, I don't have a concern. This is the game. You have to be in it to win it. If you want to be on the sideline and say, oh, I want to just hang out until the perfect move comes around and the perfect player at the perfect age, at the perfect price, at the perfect time, like you can do that. But you're not going to be in the game in the meantime. And so to Sounds me- Sounds like my dating I, life. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get you on riot, brother. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I, I think they're doing the right thing for the type of franchise that they have. Like this guy, again, he is a legitimate NBA all-star caliber player at a premium position. You feel me? Like center, let's face it. You know, the Clippers are playing Daniel Teese at center big minutes and Mason Plumley <laughs> off the streets. They got they got Daniel um, Teese? <laughs> oh, is Tice. is it Tice? Oh, sorry. Waz, come on. That's my bad. My bad. That's I, a world champion you're talking about oh, right there. Okay, my my fault. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that this is this is a position that's hard to fill. You know, the kind of guy that gets you rebounds and can still shoot it and can guard on the perimeter and can do some post work and is a great help defender. Like, you can't, these guys don't grow on trees, man. And so, yes, I understand the idea. Five years you're paying him into his mid 30s, don't matter. This guy is high, high quality. Um, and to get him in your building is a big deal. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. The Pacers also wouldn't be here and this trade wouldn't be happening if they hadn't put themselves in a position to be an attractive destination. I think it's telling that Sir. there's reporting connecting Sacramento Siakam to other no, teams. Yeah. They, he said, no, no thanks. That's not a long-term fit for me. But Indiana, with what they've proven, with what Tyrese Halliburton has proven, with what this offense has proven, that's something that other players can look at and say, I want to be a part of it. And Pascal Siakam literally just did. One thing I want to push back on, Justin, is the idea that because of his age, Siakam can't get better. He's he's such a great player development success story. I, mm. I don't want to count that out. I don't want to rule out the fact that he can get better. Yep. Yes, there are certain like athletic metrics from which it's only going to be downhill once you get kind of into your 30s, but he's a guy who has always worked hard, who has always found ways to add to his game. And I feel like he's always kind of refined the way he reads it. It's not just adding to your skill set, but adding to your understanding of what you do. Yes, and he is one of my favorite players in the league for that exact reasons. Probably the greatest player development success story in recent history, if we want to really like put a fine point on it. Him or Kawhi, there's like guys who came from nothing. Siakam, who was a hustle big defender that they were trying on LeBron in some of those LeBronto series to now becoming an all-star. And let's be honest, the all-star uh, qualifications often require lots of points and, and, and numbers. And he's definitely going to be getting a lot of those playing next to Tyrese Halliburton in that system. And I got to say like on, on in terms of price paid here, there really isn't much for there. Now we, we discussed how Siakam is going to be a free agent. So there was some leverage there. You really are kind of paying just to get ahead of uh, the open market. And so these deals typically don't give you a lot, but Bruce Brown, on uh, a contract where he has a very large team option for next year. So he's a functionally expiring contract. Jordan Nawara, probably just there to make a math work or a young guy to to be interested in. Well, as far as Bruce Brown's contract, not only is it functionally expiring if you want it to be, but it's functionally not if you don't want it to be. Because that's the difference. You know, Buddy Heald could have been involved in this trade instead. 
a true expiring contract. But the Raptors getting Bruce Brown, where now if they need to make another trade with Bruce Brown's contract, they could also do that. Right. If you want to bring him to a rodeo, he'll definitely oh. do that with you next <laughs> he, he's year. He's going to bring you to the rodeo. <laughs> so there are three first round picks going back to Toronto in this deal. The reporting as we're recording this coming in that it's a 2024 first from Indiana. We expect that to be in the 20s, probably maybe getting lower with Siakam in there and the Pacers getting better. Another first, which is going has to change hands four times, has to go through four different teams before it ultimately gets to the Raptors. So who knows where this pick is going to land there? Uh, and then a 2026 from the Raptors. We don't know the protection on that one, but we assume if everybody's healthy and, and producing like we expect, uh, that's probably going to be in the same range there. Um, interesting assets was, but a different approach than the Raptors took with the Knicks getting birds in the hand, getting young players who they can kind of move forward with. You're going the picks route. Do you like this better or worse in terms of just like the asset play for Toronto? I don't know that the Pacers necessarily had the young guys to facilitate something like the Knicks. I guess you could say Matherin. Yeah, Matherin or Jarris Walker. Yeah, those would be the only guys. But it's not the same because Matherin has way more cost control left than IQ does, right? And, you know, obviously RJ has been paid already. And so I think the the young guys in the Pacers bucket are just a different they're just at different stages than what the Knicks could offer. So I'm not surprised necessarily um there. And you know, the picks are are what they are. Like the guy was going to be a free agent and there was nothing they could do about that. So it's nice that unlike Kyle, unlike, you know, <laughs> Unlike Fred Van Vliet, uh, they they actually faced the music and did, got something in return for guys who were out the door. There are also some diminishing returns too when you do a bunch of different versions of the same trade, whether it's getting a all picks or all young players who need minutes and opportunities. You kind of have to split the difference a little bit and Toronto's going to have to do that, right? If you, if you make a trade for young players, you're doing it at the expense of the young players you already have, especially when... Everything the Raptors are doing right now is to highlight and facilitate the growth of Scotty Barnes and the kind of team that can be built around him. Did Toronto, or sorry, did Indiana have the kind of young talent that could contribute to that? I, I don't think Ben Matherin or Jairus Walker, for their respective talents, really necessarily fit in that style. Yeah, Walker would have been the interesting one just because it, I don't see a clear path for him to playing time on this team. He's getting in there uh, and... He's getting in there now and then, but like the Pacers also retain Obi Toppin in this deal. Maybe they just don't resign him over the offseason. Believe he's headed toward restricted free agency this summer. Um, he's an interesting one, if only because he was such a high pick. I think he was eighth overall. So that would have been interesting, but but you're right. There's only so many young guys you can cram into the Raptor system, and there's only so many young guys you can cram around Scotty Barnes because he needs certain type of players. Don't tell the to Pistons bring out the that. <laughs> you can never have enough young guys. It's true, but I, I think like the the Knicks package, there is sort of a prove it element to this from Masai's point of view, where it's like, well, you targeted quickly. Let's see him play as a starter around Scotty Barnes in this new wonderful role that you've carved out for him. In the same way, these picks that are probably going to end up in the twenties, that is kind of how they built the the title team originally with Siakam, for instance, getting picked what twenty seventh overall finding Fred Van Vliet out of nothing. So let's 
see Masai be able to kind of work some of the same magic that got them there to the first place. Um, it is kind of a disappointing return, we should mention, considering the wild fantasies we had for OG and Anobi going for 90 first round picks and and like, at, like you know, couldn't trade Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant and all this other stuff. But <laughs> they're clearly resetting around Scotty. And so there's a path forward here. Like there's a clear vision to this team that there wasn't before. And for that, I think it's a, an addition by subtraction. And we've seen from some recent deals, I think in particular, the James Harden trade to and f- to and from the Clippers, that sometimes it's not always about the return. It's about that clarity of vision. It's about what it it's does about for the destination. your team. <laughs> it's about the journey. <laughs> it is, in this case, about the journey. Uh, I don't want to zoom out too far on Toronto, though, because in terms of what they're actually getting back right now, Bruce Brown is a nice player for them and a, and a cutter who makes sense playing off of someone like Scotty Barnes. Jordan Wara was not of use to the Pacers, but to a team that categorically cannot shoot, much more interesting. And I think Jordan Wara could actually get some rotation minutes for Toronto. So there's something here in the meantime. Obviously, we're going to have conversations about the picks and what those will, like what the, the ultimate benefit of those will be. But in the interim, I think there's a lot to watch in Toronto. I think there's a lot of interesting guys who are in bigger roles than they've ever been, who are going to have to do more than they've ever done before. I just can't say when we do take that zoomed out perspective, the end result of the Siakam and Anobi era of Raptors history went out with a bang. Well, let's talk about the big picture here because now the Pacers look pretty interesting in an Eastern Conference race that has suddenly gotten pretty thick because for a while we were expecting the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers to kind of duke it out there for Eastern Conference supremacy. I think we still put them probably in a tier of their own, but the Heat quietly getting very interesting as they play through Jimmy Butler's injuries and yet still find themselves at fifth. The Cavs are kind of one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. Winners of five in a row. They've seemed to buoy themselves despite not having Evan Mobley in the lineup. The Pacers, now sixth, are super interesting if Halliburton can come back and be uh, healthy within the next week or two. The Knicks, obviously, one of the most fascinating teams with OG and Anobi there. One of my favorite league pass teams. So does this change, Waz, your outlook on the Eastern Conference at all? Do you see the Pacers maybe even vaulting the Heat or the Cavs, at least in the regular season? I think the Pacers are on the level of the Cavs and the Knicks, for sure. I think the Heat are just too much championship equity for me to vault those guys above them. I think the Heat Sixers are on a tier below the Celtics and the Bucks, but I think Indy is is below them, right? I think they're with the Knicks and, you know... um, as far as if they get in a series with any of the top teams, um, it's going to, I think they'll give them a really good series, but I, it'd be hard for me to envision them actually upsetting the Bucks, even though they've kicked their asses up and yeah. down the floor this whole season. I was about to say, actually that's kind of the one the serious team that might have to yeah. look at this trade and think, this is not great for us, is the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. The Celtics, they've, they've proven enough and I think in some of those matchups in particular, they've proven enough, but Milwaukee and Indiana have been a fun watch, a competitive watch all season. And now you're adding Pascal Siakam to that, a guy who could be a meaningful difference maker for this team on defense, a guy who could spend at least some time guarding Giannis over the course of a series and spread out that responsibility. That's a that's a real change. Well, what do you think about the defense 
now that Siakam is going to be in there now? Because we had a few weeks ago, the Rick Carlisle settling all family business. Let's just play the guys that bust their ass. And that's why you see uh, Naismith and, and whatnot in that starting lineup. Um, there's like a Siakam, Turner, Neesmith, Halliburton, etc. Does that ex- is that like a legitimate defense in order to carry them? If not even into like the second round, maybe they can get into the mix for like a, a seven game, six game series in that second round. Yeah, they were already crawling up defensively over the last couple of weeks. You know, just getting a little more solvent, a little more responsible, a little more responsive, frankly, to some of the rotations and things like that. But this sort of personnel shift changes things pretty significantly. Not because Bruce Brown's a bad defender, but because Indiana needed size and they needed resistance and they needed someone in the lane who could help protect things. And there's there's kind of a cascading effect, right? It's not like Miles Turner's a good rim protector, but Indiana was a disastrous defense. And so if you give him a little more support, if you give a little more resistance on the perimeter and in rotation, then Miles Turner's going to be more impactful then Aaron Neesmith's going to be more impactful. Then Andrew Nemhard's going to be more impactful. The defenders that Indiana does have are going to be better for it. They still don't have clearly a defensive player of the year type candidate, an all defense type candidate. They have good defenders. And if they can get their defense to not bad or even just regular bad, they're going to be a really tough matchup for lots of different teams because of what they can do offensively. The East looks mighty interesting. For a while, it seemed like the West was the bloodbath and it still will be. But like East goes seven, eight deep. We didn't even talk about the Magic, who are now eighth in the standings there. If I were to power rank the East teams, I would still have the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, who we'll talk about later. Then I'd probably have the Heat. Yeah. That's fair. But then it's like Pacers, Knicks. I probably have the. The Knicks are getting, they're pretty confident they're going to get Mitch back. Um, so long as Jalen Brunson is healthy, like they're going to be tough. <laughs> they are going to be hell to deal with um, when they bring their full complement of defense to bear, you know. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, I think the Pacers, nobody slouch. They've taken a step forward. Um, Halliburton, you know, around the the play-in was like, yo, I've never been in a... This is the closest I've ever come to an NBA playoff game (laughs) or atmosphere, right? And so, you know, and the same can be said for a lot of the guys on that roster. And so, you know, it'll be fun. Yeah, I would love to see them play a team like the Knicks. We we saw what happened with Cleveland last season. The Knicks are the perfect (laughs) prove-it-in-the-playoffs type opponent. Like, all your cute shit, does it really work in a seven-game series, like, nailed-down kind of setting? And Indiana is going to have to prove some things in a lot of those sorts of matchups, both over the back half of the regular season and then going into those actual playoff scenarios. Prove it in the play-in, then prove it in the playoffs, and then Then, prove it in... Then prove it with Pascal Siakam. Then prove it in the second round. That's right. <laughs> then prove it when Tyrese Halliburton gets back. They got a lot of proving to do, but... But then prove it again next year again. Of course. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that. if you only do it one year, it's a fluke. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Come on now. It's true. Um, all right. Let's talk about Waz's night at the crypt. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer 
Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. We should actually start there, Waz, because you saw the Mighty Thunder in person last night. How was the experience of seeing Clippers Thunder? Uh, It was, man, it was really kind of quite a contrast in styles, honestly. Uh, The Clippers who basically since they signed Paul George or traded for Paul George and signed Kawhi Leonard in the summer of 2019, I think the thesis of the team was that we're just going to be the biggest wing group the league has ever seen. And most teams just cannot compete with that size at those positions and take it from there, right? We would create our advantages from that type of size advantage and, you know, one-on-one creation from Kawhi Elite and Paul George just being able to plug all kinds of holes on both ends of the floor, right? Um, And I think there's still a version of that, but James Harden just adds just a different dynamic with what he's doing in pick and roll and their ability to generate easy baskets when teams try to cover that pick and roll conventionally just adds a different layer to what's always been there from 2019. And then, you know, Oklahoma City, man... um, The shooting last night was insane. Uh, Lou Dort and Isaiah Joe splashing five threes a pop was ridiculous. I don't think we've said the name Isaiah Joe enough on this podcast. He's been just balling out all season. Been so, so good for the Thunder. Again, one of these guys who's like a plus minus monster. One of their most important shooters. Just a really key piece of their rotation this year. Yeah, he's a Where did a you come from? Shooter. Where did you go? Okay, no. Where did you come <laughs> oh, from? Here we go. Isaiah nope, Joe? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> here we go. And he's no slouch with the ball in his hands either, which I was pleasantly surprised to see last night. But, you know, obviously Jalen Williams and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I thought they were excellent last night. Like, they could just beat their matchup consistently. Jalen Williams, man, he is so smooth. He makes it look so effortless. Um, He knows exactly where he wants to go. Once he gets the ball, there's no like indecision there. He's a quick decision maker, which I think is incredible for a year two guy. Um, He especially loved those Harden matchups. Oh, my Lord. Did he fish fry James Harden off the bounce (laughs) like five, seven times yesterday? Um, It was just cool to see the Clippers. Again, their size was just so apparent on the wings because even Shea like as great as he is he and he fucking competes too he he competes on defense it's just Kawhi is just he's so goddamn strong and Paul George is towering over their wings bigger than their wings I thought that was the main difference for me and what if I could be concerned trolley about the coolest freaking story in the NBA they are a slight team at every position they don't bring size to any position 
right? They don't bring elite physicality to any position. That's a concern. But man, they they went toe to toe with the Clippers last night, and it was it was one of my favorite regular season experiences of my life. Honestly, I felt like it was one of those games that was impressive for both sides in that way. Was right the Thunder going toe to toe with? a veteran team that's been playing really hot basketball, really successful basketball lately. And we see a little bit of that differential in some of the experience level, in some of the size you're talking about. In particular, Jalen Williams was super impressive, but there are levels to secondary scores. And when your secondary scorer is Jalen Williams, he's going to go off, he's going to do well. He's so shifty. It's it's genuinely crazy that he is this good of a one-on-one scorer already. But then there's Paul George who just completely took over the back half of this game in a way that Kawhi didn't have to, that their other scores didn't have to, where they were shorthanded. You know, they're out of Vita Zubats, and that's worth kind of uh, discussing in its own right separately. But they figured it out, and they still felt like the bigger team because of what guys like PG bring to the table. Hold on. We're we're burying the lead here. What's the lead? You saw your hero in person. Oh, the Chetster. Man, Chet had a rough night. He could never get his rhythm. And, the, you know, it's crazy to say, but the bottom line is uh, Plumlee was was just giving him trouble. Like, um, just very physical with him all game. And we know that's the guy's biggest weak point at the moment. And both the Clippers centers were giving him trouble, which is... um, I won't say who I was sitting next to at the game last night. He, we were just laughing at the idea that the Clippers have three big white guys at center. It's kind of, it's kind of cool, honestly. <laughs> they just, they just cornered the market neat. on cheap white yeah. centers. Um, but no, but they were out physicaling. Uh, Chet the whole game he got into foul trouble very early and he could just never get his rhythm defensively I thought he had a couple of nice plays off the bounce which is like where he really impresses honestly in person is just the fluidity that you know he they they trap Shea on the pick and roll and so he gets that sort of you know four on three mini fast break in the half court and he makes two dribbles and makes the correct read gets a guy for a layup. He gets the ball on, you know, at the corner three. Defense is trying to close on his shot. He puts it on the rack, does a spin, gets fouled. Like, his fluidity with the dribble is is incredible to see um, up close. But, yeah, just the physicality of the game never allowed him to get into any type of rhythm. Um, but, you know, I thought he still looked good, man. Like, you know, again, this is his first season out here against the Clippers team that people, you know, I think rightfully think can have the chance to make an NBA Finals, you know, uh, I, I thought he was still, I thought he's still impressed, even in, in on a night that wasn't his best night. Had some great blocks on the back end, or even when he wasn't blocking, giving some great contests, you know, because like there's times we're so used to sometimes when a guy is able to uh, to break that first line of defense on the closeout. And it's Paul George. It's Kawhi Leonard. It's like, all right, this is going to be a finish at the cup. And then Chet comes out of nowhere. And they have to change their shot. And they have to change the direction. Terrence Mann is like doing an up and under instead of just going straight up. Like, you know, it's pretty impressive to see, even when the shot's not falling, even when he's in foul trouble. Yeah, Justin, I feel like we're seeing the tests for Chet start to manifest. What he's going to have to prove to keep leveling up at the NBA, you know, as an NBA center, and in particular against the best teams in the league. On the one hand, 
it's this kind of physicality from more traditional bigs. That can give him problems inside sometimes, bump him off his spot, keep him off the boards in ways that Oklahoma City like really needs him to be big and really needs him to be able to play big. So that's kind of one of his challenges. The other one is the teams that are going to match up with Chet with wings and with long wings and are going to be able to chase him off the three-point line and hound him when he puts the ball on the floor. Because I'm with you, Waz. Like, his ability to drive and, and, and the quickness of his spin and the development of that move over the course of the season have been so critical for him. I, I'm very curious to see how he starts to respond to those challenges, not just over the course of the season, but really over the first couple of years of his career. Yeah, I think if you look back on the kind of advent, the first couple of years of some of the unicorns we've seen in this league, the players they typically have the most difficulty with isn't really the bigs parked at the basket because they have such quickness and skill in order to maneuver around them. And probably the muscle memory after going against centers for so long. I mean, Chet played uh, in the whack, you know, I'm sure he was, he was doing a lot of that in college, just like plotting big men, but it's usually the fire plug wings in the strong, really like quick footed wings and Kawhi and Paul George and the Clippers have really built this entire little run around those type of players. And so it wasn't surprising for me to see him struggle a little bit against those type of guys. But similarly, I was also struck by the fact that that big that the Clippers had on the court, Plumlee or even Tice was oftentimes guarding Josh Giddy. And I, I was starting to flash forward a little bit to kind of the obstacles the Thunder might have in the playoffs and something that we've all kind of talked about is like, what's the Achilles heel? Do they need to trade Giddy? To me, I wonder if that was like a preview of the things to come. And now let me just say like, they're still great. It's still like, they're still way ahead of schedule. We could talk about Jalen Williams and want to do that. But I think that's the thing that's going to start to creep up more and more as we watch the Thunder of the season. Well, and that's where guys like Isaiah Joe are really important. Or, you know, if whoever you want to dig into on the bench in a given night, you know, Casey Wallace can fill minutes, Kenrich Williams can fill minutes, mm -hmm. but there's going to be matchups where Giddy is guarded that way. And I'm going to guess in the playoffs, he's guarded that way the vast majority of the time. If not by a center, then certainly by someone who is backing way off him and just gumming things up and trying to take away so much of the Thunder's driving game. He's either going to hit or he's not. And defenses are either going to react to that or they're not. And that's going to kind of dictate whether he plays 19 minutes like he did in this game or if he plays 32 minutes in games that really matter. But the thing to me with Giddy is like even when you know, he's not being forced to shoot and he's getting into his other bag. And people, smart teams, I think the Clippers smartly last night was playing him, playing the shot because they know he wants to pass. They know he wants to use his vision. A lot of it is off-balance floaters seven feet from the basket. Like, you know, against a smaller guy, you can get that off and it doesn't look terrible, but any like-sized or bigger player guarding that action is not, or move, I should say, is not going to feel intimidated by it, right? Um, and, you know, we'll see. Another giddy note, just being in the building, you know, there's a fucking awkwardness around the giddy thing because teams are booing him like he's LeBron in 2010 and 2011 after the decision. It's just it's just like the weirdest thing that's happening. What I will say about the Clipper crowd, uh, the loudest they got was to boo Josh Giddy. I wish they would do that for their own team. Um, but, you know, <laughs> such as like either to boo Josh Giddy or for when free chicken was on the line. But, you know, clip's going to clip. Well, the wall isn't up yet. I don't know if you guys saw oh, all yeah, the, yeah, the clips yeah, coming yeah. The out about the Intuit death. Dome. The, 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 <laughs> yeah. the, the, the crazy fan wall, which, 
you know, if we're being real, my LAFC heads know they bit that idea from the LAFC. That's fine. Um, Did they? I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Where, I don't care where they bit uh, it from. As they long bit as the it idea works, from LAFC, it's a good idea. But it's all good. If you if you go to an LAFC game and you see that fan section where there's freaking smoke coming out and fans waving and they don't sit down and they're cheering and screaming at people the whole game, it's pretty freaking cool, honestly. That's what we need, not just the wall of fans, but a full purge section. Like anything goes, <laughs> signs, smoke, fireworks, like things that create sound, whatever you want to bring in this section, you're allowed to do it. So Rob, they showed a commercial um, during the game about the fan wall at the new stadium. Uh, Terrence Mann was basically the, like Morgan Freeman of the commercial, right? Um, he was like, sort of narrating and guiding the commercial, speaking to the fan. And one of the things is no other team gear allowed in this section. So like, I think they're going to do a James Dolan facial recognition type of situation <laughs> and bouncers at the door security <laughs> like, <laughs> no Charlotte Hornets gear in here, buddy. Sorry. If you have one positive tweet about the Oklahoma City Thunder on your account, they will not let you sit <laughs> in the section. <laughs> no, that's where I was starting getting a little worried, though, because there was like a thing where if you cheer louder or more consistently, they'll give you a discount. And I'm like, how deep does this go? Is this just I, like a I police like statement? I like it. <laughs> like, I like okay. it. I like I it. I guess anything you can get to, to get those fans going at the Intuit Dome. Also, I'm going to guess when it comes... Lakers versus Clippers time, that rule is going to be a little difficult to enforce. I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there now. Sure. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit more about the Thunder here. Jalen Williams had a pretty big night, 25 points, seven assists. He's someone that I, I've constantly been marveling at because the Thunder once again have managed to home grow a big three. And while they'll never and probably the NBA might never come close to homegrowing three MVPs on the same team like the Thunder used to have. The fact that they have a guy at all three levels now that I think they can count on, and I think Jalen Williams has clearly solidified himself as the third guy in this big three, is remarkable. Uh, I, I don't, I can't think of another team who's even gotten to this level, let alone uh, the KD, Russ, Harden level. And I was thinking back on it. Where would Jalen Williams go on a 2022 redraft. So let's first stop and pause and say they got both Chet and Jalen Williams in the same draft. Also, Usman Jang, who maybe, who knows. Um, but I think Chet and Paolo go one and two again, right? Yeah. In some in, order. In some order, yeah. I might go Chet first. Obviously, Paolo's been great lately. I think Paolo would still go first for a lot of teams. And I think I would be tempted in that direction just because I feel more confident about him as a number one option. And I think Chet is amazing and is going to be a really good player for a really long time. But especially for a team in Orlando's position, I think Paolo was the right call. Yeah, I'm obviously y'all know where I'm at on the Chet thing, but my rationale over Paolo, although I think Paolo will always be a better offensive weapon, I don't think Paolo will ever, in and of himself, anchor an elite unit. And I think Chet will become the kind of defensive player who makes your defense elite just by him being there, right? Um, that is a, just a wholly different proposition. And he's he's not going to be somebody... Not that Paolo takes anything away on defense either. I just don't know that a defense will be... An offense that is great will be built around... 
Paolo just being the number one, you know, person in that on that unit. Whereas Chad, I think he's gonna man elite defenses for years to come. A la Rudy Gobert, a la Draymond Green, a la some of the best big defenders we've had in generations. I don't want to go as far as Dwight Howard and Kevin Garnett. That's a bridge too far. But yeah, I really think he could be one of those guys. I could definitely see it. I don't want to rule out the possibility that Paolo could be that kind of offensive player, though. Interesting. We're just in year two. He's jumped in terms of his efficiency, in terms of his confidence creating in these situations. And he's another guy who, like many members of the Thunder, they're in kind of an unconventional offense. And he's being asked to do some unconventional things and things that I'm, I'm sure he wasn't growing up doing necessarily operating with this level of space and these kinds of roles. So I want to give Paolo time to grow into that before we make that kind of determination. But the signs that we've seen so far, like he's physically overwhelming. He's incredibly skilled. The three has been coming around. I feel really good about the idea of him, if not as the primary creator of your offense and driver of an offense, then one who could at least be a 1B type. But how much of the Magic's offense is unconventional because of how unconventional of a fit he is? Sure. Yeah, he just it just it's just tougher to like work around him. But the Magic have done a pretty good job of it thus far, and they are see, waiting to really finish it off as a result. Of it. I don't think you're working around him. Like I think yeah, that's, I think you're that's working the around framing. the lack of point guard play. Yeah, working around team. the lack of a traditional point guard is what they're yeah. doing. And they're working through yeah, Paolo that's what I mean. to facilitate that. Like Paolo he's not yes. a four man. He can't be asked to just be the fucking, you know, point he's, guard. He's too. the he's the tent pole. He is yes. what everything revolves around. And yes. I think they're doing a good job of that. And they're actually waiting to find out who the final pieces are for that. Um, I, I, they do tend to lean more on size and defense at this point than I think they, it would be nice to get a little bit more juice in it, but you're already starting to see guys like Caleb Houston starting over even like uh, Anthony black, cause they know they need to get more shooting on the court there. So they seem like they're trending in the right direction for it. Yeah. But this is the philosophical debate at the top of this redraft, whether you prefer Paolo's skill set or Chet's once you get past those two. I don't see anyone else in that draft class that would be taken or should be taken above Jalen Williams. Yeah. So nah. here's a few names. Keegan Murray, Jabari Smith Jr., Shaden Sharp, Benedict Matherin. Who else here? I mean, you could throw Dyson Daniels in there. Um, yeah. I'm, a, lot, look, a lot of guys who of haven't list. quite hit yet. You know, your Jaden yes. Ivies, you know, guys who haven't had a Jaylen full Durin. chance. Jalen Duran, of course. Um, I think... You know, the, the big guys who would jump in a redraft, Jalen Williams, who was number 12, he would definitely get into the top three or four. Walker Kessler, who was number 22, hasn't had a good season, but I still feel pretty confident about what he can be defensively. He, I could see him j- jumping into the top five or so. Uh, Andrew Nemhard at 31 is another guy who I think would be a, a solid first rounder in a chance to redraft. But a lot of guys in that seven to 20 range have just had weird starts to their careers or haven't been as impressive as we might have hoped. If somebody told me they still believe that on the high end, Shaden Sharp could be a better player than Jalen Williams, I'd be willing to listen. Just um, athletically, he's younger. I I can understand that. But when I watched Jalen Williams last night, and again, it's different. In In a way, I'm comparing apples to oranges in a way, but in a way I'm not because some of this, some of the times 
Jalen is just breaking a dude down one-on-one against the set defense. He's not attacking a closeout. So when I watch him on his drives, his balance, his patience is crazy compared to somebody like Anthony Edwards, who is quicker, more explosive. You would think has just as good a handle, but for whatever reason on his drives, he doesn't have that same balance and focus. When Jalen Williams is driving, he knows exactly what he's going to do, how he's going to finish um, every single time. It's it's super dope to watch. So what he lacks in um, sort of explosion, I think he he more than makes up for it with precision and footwork and balance. And for that reason, he's so good in controlled chaos situations. And the Thunder have a lot of those. Right, There's a lot of situations, whether it's off of driving kicks, off of offensive rebounds, in transition, of just kind of make something of this marginal advantage. And Jalen Williams is already really, really good at that and really, really shifty and really, really controlled, as you're saying, was in terms of his ability to get to the rim. So another thing I want to say about the, the Thunder before we move off of them is the way that they play for one another on offense is really cool to see. There is a there's a sort of, you know, everybody working in concert with one another and the, their willingness to get off the rock is really cool to see for a bunch of young guys who haven't all been paid yet. It's really dope to see their willingness and, you know, it's a cliche, but their unselfishness on the rock. Like the reason why Lou Dort and Isaiah Joe are splashing five threes apiece, their teammates are looking for them. They're whipping that pass out after they collapse the defense and like, no, like we want you to shoot. You can see them when a pass gets passed up. It's like, nah, take that, do that. Uh, and, and Dort is shooting this thing with supreme confidence. He's changed his shooting form from his rookie year and that first playoff series um, that they played against the Rockets when they when Chris Paul was still there and Shea just had got there. Like, Dort doesn't shoot like that anymore. He's completely changed his, his shot mechanics. Chip England, I don't know what that voodoo that guy got going on, but the shot is way more confident, way more fluid. He's making it at 40%, granted, these things are wide open at the moment, but whatever. You're like the guy's taking four and a half a game. He's making 40%. You can't, you can't hate on that. And Isaiah Joe, like people just need to realize this guy is a bona fide threat from three. Like you need to figure out how you're gonna guard that dude. It's a problem. He's a problem. He's a problem with the um with the smoke coming out my nose. <laughs> and and Waz, not only is that kind of play style impressive for, as you said, the guys who haven't gotten paid yet, the guys who are still trying to prove themselves, it's also impressive for the MVP candidate of that team oh, yeah. to play that way. Oh, and yeah. Shea Gilgis Alexander, for the crazy numbers he puts he up and the spots. dominant effect he has, not one of these guys who is dominating the ball, not one of these guys who's right at the top of the league in terms of time of possession. He does not a Luca or Trey. No, he's no. not. And, and he could be if he wanted to. He could be if he wanted to. And, and like maybe there's an argument to be had that in certain situations that would be more beneficial. But for this group and the guys that they have, and this is really a compliment for guys like Chet and for guys like Jalen Williams, they play well that way. This, yeah. this Not only have the Thunder scouted well, but they found guys who can play this way. Yeah. Paul George scores 38. They beat the Thunder 
And here we are just gushing over the thunder. I mean, it's a really young team. They the wall, fought throughout the that game. The wall is very upset at us right now. We've talked about the Clippers a lot lately. I Look, I watched that game the whole time thinking the Clippers are going to blow this thing open, right? Like, they're going to jump out to this a 17-point lead, right? Like, they're going to yeah. take this thing over, right? And it just never happened until the very, 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 very end of the game. And so that was impressive to me because the Clippers were playing well. They were taking the opponent seriously, and these guys just kept fighting back. And yes, Paul George was, you know, he was sublime last night. That was that was crazy to see. Well, speaking of sublime, we should talk about Joel Embiid last night because well, we got. Do we want to talk yes. about about Zubats at all first, and if that's going to matter for the Clippers, him being out for a pretty extended period of time? Sh- sure. Good. Yes. Good call. Uh, Zubac four weeks out. Strain right calf. It's at least four weeks. So this yeah. is something that could drag Muscle in a little strain longer. always lingers. They always notice. do. Luckily, luckily, Mason Plumley was just out there in the G League and reserve, just biding his time. So, and I do think it's interesting seeing him in there as opposed to Zubach <laughs> because I do love... The guy is still athletic as all hell and can pass it and he's, brings he's, a different dimension he's, to he's that. He's good at the passing. He's He <laughs> offers a vertical threat, which yes. still Harden. offers that threat. And... My, pro, you know, aside from all of the incredible basketball I got to watch last night, um, every time Mason Pumley got hit on a shot or got fouled, he did the exaggerated LeBron shoulder shrug. Like, I'm so strong. Like, this doesn't even affect me. Shoulder shrug. And I was like, Mason Pumley, please calm down. He's it probably talking to himself part of because the game, he needed dude. to psych himself up into getting like t- free throws because that guy could not oh, shoot a goddamn no, free throw. Yeah, his, his free throw still. form, my goodness, that thing hit the rim like a thud. <laughs> I've actually found myself doing that on these pods, though. Whenever you guys are really trying to tear me down, I just start shrugging it <laughs> off. Just, I, just, I, just gotta get, I gotta get my head straight. <laughs> dude, <a> big shoulders. <laughs> but without Zoo, Rob, do you look at this team any differently? A little bit, I think just because like Mason Plumlee is a good backup center, but there's already been such a stark contrast in the Clippers rebounding when Zoo hasn't been on the floor. Granted, some of that's because Plumlee's been out. So they've been playing a little smaller with their backups. They've been relying on Tice a little more in some of those situations. That's going to come with the territory. I just think in a game like this against an opponent like the Thunder that's a bit smaller, that's a bit slighter, as we've been saying, they're not going to dominate the glass in a way that's actually going to punish the Clippers, but those teams are out there. And if when they encounter that kind of physicality and that kind of size without the you know far and away the best rebounder on their team, I think they're going to pay the price for that in some matchups. But with what, the way they're playing right now and the playmaking and the confidence they're playing with offensively, they're going to I think they're going to be able to overcome it. It's just going to be a little bit of a different dynamic without Zoo out there. Is PJ Tucker alive? Did they bury him in like a cinder block in the Intuit Dome? I mean, the guy's 35, 36 years old, right? I think you can use him as a brick glass in case of emergency type of defender down the line. I, I like, I, 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 and Ty Lu, if he's anything, he's very creative about lineups. And I think when the time comes, the matchup, um, you know, dictates it. He's going to use P.J. Tucker. We haven't heard the last of P.J. Tucker. I promise you. Maybe not. But, I, <laughs> you know, in retrospect, I feel confident in saying that what P.J. Tucker was able to accomplish in some sp- like superstar matchups in particular over the last two seasons, 
There was some kind of dark magic involved there. There yeah. was some kind of there was some kind of blood sacrifice reanimating <laughs> his body, making him ch- chase right. and hound James Harden um, among other people. Save it for the TV podcast, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I kind of feel like Harden needed his vertical spacing big, and here we are, and that's who they play. I, I can't imagine like I imagine that has to be some part of the calculus here. Absolutely is is part of the calculus. Like they got several lobs off of it. And when they weren't getting lobs, they were getting the defense to commit extra resources. And of course, you know, James Harden is going to find the goddamn shooter when you do that. So, I, I mean, I think it's working swimmingly like this. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I could see a playoff matchup in which, you know... You do you want to save Kawhi's legs? Paul George might get two fouls, and you need another physical perimeter defender oriented type who can guard against size. Like, I think PJ Tucker will be useful at some point before you know the final whistle um, is sounded on the Clippers season. Like, I I, I'm, I I have the utmost confidence in that. Well, and for yeah. where they are now and how well they've been playing, a lot of interesting All Star cases on the Clippers. Mm. You know, James Harden making a very interesting case for himself in addition to Paul George and Kawhi playing so well in a conference that is stacked. The West, mm. man, is a bloodbath as far as trying to parse those things out. So you're saying if Harden doesn't get an all-star bid, this could all go to shit in a second? I'm not saying that even remotely. I'm saying that I'm, <laughs> if you if you would have told me several months ago, I would be legitimately thinking of James Harden, a guy who pouted his way out of a situation as a legitimate, like, have to take him seriously all-star candidate, I, I might have been a bit surprised by that information. Yeah. Well, two guys we won't be surprised to see in Indianapolis alongside us at our live show, perhaps in the crowd, just watching us as we're doing our thing. Uh, we got round <laughs> one of Joel and and our guy, Jokic. No ducking was was afforded in this game. Uh, and speaking of bigs playing big, uh, Joel Embiid looked incredible. 41 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. Let's just let's just stop and marvel and let's just say any of the like weird catholic repentance we've done about Joel Embiid's MVP last year where after he threw up a turd in the playoffs which <laughs> deservedly deserved all of the uh the kind of ribbing he got as a result of that and all the questions that still linger over this team as a result of that. All fair and good. He was incredible last night and his team has been incredible when he plays like that. And like, I'm starting to like, I'm constantly rethinking how I feel about the Sixers and man, they, they might just be better than we think. Well, he plays like that an awful lot. Yeah. Just a phenomenal season from Joel and, and this kind of performance in particular where the range and the touch that he has for a big like he's hitting step backs and turnarounds and off balance jumpers. It wasn't Shaq type dominance from him in the ways that obviously we've seen before. It was face up Dirk and KG style dominance from him, picking giant defenses Kobe. apart. Yeah. Giant Kobe. And when teams have floating help the way that Denver did for a lot of this game, where guys are just kind of mucking up lanes, they're kind of edging toward Joel Embiid without outright doubling him. That's how you have to play that in some respects. Like someone is going to have to hit shots. Either Joel is going to hit jumpers over the top of whoever's guarding him, or he's going to rocket passes to the guys who are in the corner who are being left and try to beat the recovery. I thought he was able to do both of those things. And honestly, I thought Denver's game plan was pretty good. Their defensive design was pretty good. 
this this was just like another piece of proof that pretty good against a player like Joel just doesn't matter in some of these games. Yeah, he was he was at his best last night. That was incredible to see. And obviously, I've I've definitely been one of the bigger, harsher critics of JoJo Embiid in the media. Over no, the years. Was, no, <laughs> you would never do that. And, and, you know, and rightfully so. I think the guy has so much ability. I, you know, I expect a lot more than some of what he's put out in some big moments in the past. However, this season, his play has been unimpeachable. Like, you cannot, you, there's just not, not even I could muster anything in the way of a critique. Um, for how he's played throughout this season. He's looked incredible. And I do want to take some time out, man, to appreciate the evolution of this guy's game um, from where he started in this league to now. And, you know, people who don't know, like, if you, like some of the folklore around Embiid when he first got to Kansas, it was this idea that, like, the coaches would 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 come to him and be like, yo, um, we we need you to learn this move, this thing that might take most bigs three months to master. Joel would come back in four days and have it mastered. And he'd be like, oh shit, you could do that now. Okay, on that, you should build upon it with this thing. And then another five, four days after that, Joel will come back having built upon it. And so it went, right? And so from a guy who picked up basketball as late as he has to become undoubtedly one of the most skilled big men in the history of the game, right? Like when we talk about skilled big men, we're talking about Kareem and Walton and, you know, if you want to get real hipster, Arvidas Sabonis and the like and all of those guys. Like Joel is up there with them and still one of the most physically imposing guys in the NBA. It's a marvel what he's doing right now. There's, there's no doubt about it. Now all we want to see is him continue it and, and create some of the bigger moments for the Sixers and their fans because they're desperately hungry for it. Yeah, I had him at two made baskets at, at the rim last night. Five in the paint. The rest were drop 40. I think basically all those that he got in the paint were assisted too. Because of the way Denver was guarding him, he, if he wasn't getting in transition or cutting or, or you know making himself available off of someone else's creation, they were hedging and edging his way. So the two things that jumped out to me, big picture, about the Sixers last night. One, I think it's going to be hard to sell to Joel Embiid and anyone on the Sixers at this point to not make some sort of trade as we barrel toward the deadline in order to take advantage of yet another immaculate Joel Embiid season. I think wasting this would be disappointing. And now, obviously, there's a long runway with him and Maxi. Maxi isn't even on his next contract yet, but there's always the concerns with Joel about injuries. He's missed, I think, 10 games this year. I mean, we're going to get to the point where we might not be able to vote for him for MVP because he's missed 17. And now that we have that new rule. So like one, I would like to see the Sixers do something before the deadline in order to take advantage of this. The other thing I was thinking about is I wonder if the Denver blueprint that they've assembled is a good model for this next version of what the Sixers become. And now you might say, well, Jokic's playmaking allows them to basically have him and Murray and then just a bunch of like catch and shoot guys who could play both ways. And you could be a little bit less um, creative with some of the other parts when you have that rock solid too. And when you have a Jokic to orchestrate everything, I'll, I'll grant that. 
But I wonder if like Maxi's come along enough as a playmaker, Joel has come along enough as a playmaker, where you can get it from a bunch of different spots and have that same sort of mentality where it's like, we just want size and shooting with these other guys. And like, if you even look at the lineup they put out there against the Nuggets, there's kind of like a Kroger brand discount version of that sort of thinking where it's like, Batum and, and Ubre, who are obviously on minimum contracts and nowhere close to the guys that the Nuggets have. But like, that's kind of the thinking that I want. I want long athletic shooting guys out there around these two, like just honestly, all-star caliber, like tent poles for your franchise now. Yeah, I, I think t- on that last point, I don't see it as being that different from what they're already doing. You know, when D'Anthony yeah. Melton's healthy, like he deserves a spot in the rotation, deserves a spot to start. Like I think Melton is really good and is a little bit smaller than this kind of group. But mostly the difference is not in size necessarily, but in some of the physicality that Denver has. The, mm-hmm. the physicality that Aaron Gordon brings, the physicality mm-hmm. that Contavious Caldwell Pope brings, those are a little different than what Philly has to offer. And you could even see it some in the rebounding discrepancy in this game. I know a lot of that was just Jokic following his own misses, but there are also cases where other sixes were just get, getting kind of beat and beasted off the boards a little bit. That's the nature of playing Tobias Harris at the four and relying on that kind of situation. Like Harris is skilled. He's big enough and strong enough to body wings out of his way, but not necessarily to wrestle with other bigs and, and other, other players who are kind of like-sized or even bigger. Overall though, I think the Sixers have good length. I think they have good shooting. You could try to tilt into an even more talented direction by consolidating some of these players, by attaching draft picks. As we talked about previously, like I'm all in favor of a modest upgrade for the Sixers. I just don't see a, a big swing here so much as can they get one more really good role player to augment what they already have? Yeah, I, I think Maxi and, you know, some people might think I'm being blasphemous here. I, I, I could make the case that he's a better individual player and talent than Jamal Murray is. Like, particularly what he's able to do in the one-on-one. Like, this guy is a beast. Um, Like, the the look, as good as Murray is, when he's trying to prop up their bench units and do his own thing, it's, it's not always great, okay? Um, he is, like, his game is very complementary to what Jokic brings to the table. And I think their synergy is greatness personified, but on his own, he's not creating and crafting these incredible, you know, offensive possessions. That's not to take anything away from him. I think Maxi is a player more in that realm, honestly, on his own. Um, and so I think his playmaking um, becomes simpler because of that truth, like because he can beat so many guys, he can bend defenses in ways that... Defenses aren't afraid to leave a guy that's really good on an island with Jamal Murray, um, particularly when MB, when um excuse me when Jokic isn't involved, right? And so I think more than size, man, it's just make a shot, be in the right spot, you know, get that board when they're double teaming Joel. Like it's to me, it's know how and skill more than size that they need around it, man. Because I think they could generate a decent amount of offense between their two guys. Um, and, and I think it's just about, you know, Batum being the ultimate ball mover, connector type, movement without the ball, can sometimes even be a movement shooter. Like, those kinds of guys are going to prop up what they do. Obviously, OG coming in would have been 
a ridiculous upgrade to what they're doing. Like, you can't discount that. And now that he's not there, it's fine. I just think to replicate what the Nuggets bring in terms of bullying the shit out of people with a 6'11 small forward, a 6'10 um, power forward who's as strong as anybody in Jokic, who just literally, his core strength is just ridiculous. I don't know that you need to um, try to replicate that. And so much as have dudes that know how to freaking hoop around what you're doing. There's also something too, Justin, in kind of spinning off what you were saying about the playmaking difference between Jokic and Embiid. There's also a difference in where they operate on the floor and what they're looking to get out of those scenarios that kind of lends itself to different sort like sort of supporting talent. I almost think you can put not just more like standstill shooters around Jokic, but you can put players like Aaron Gordon around him more easily. You can put size around Jokic more easily in some ways because of the way he inverts the floor looking to pass, looking to to get guys on the duck in. And Embiid, it should be noted, I think is improved by leaps and bounds as a passer. I thought this game in particular, like his patience operating against the Nuggets was really, really impressive and something that we didn't see from him even two and three seasons ago. But there is a difference in the way that Jokic and Embiid operate that I think allows, it, it might just skew a little smaller on average in terms of the skill sets you want around Embiid that, versus the skill sets you want around Jokic. Yeah, Embiid will always try to overwhelm you. He's more of like a maximalist, whereas Jokic is always going to want to default to orchestration. And we should point out, going into this game, Jokic over his past 13 games was shooting 31, 71% from the floor. Nuts. And like this feels like his <laughs> version of, of like being his best self in the way that Joel would be just dominating and scoring 50. He just wants to sit back. He wants to be the Leonard Bernstein and he wants to point guys in different direction. <laughs> I mean, he wants to really just manage everything on the floor to, in order to play, like to, in order to use everyone out there, whereas Embiid is still going to get his. And so that subtle difference is also kind of maybe a sticking point into like the, the level of creation you need from those other guys. All right. Yo, save it for the movie podcast, Justin. Yo, yo kitchen <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> yo kitchen a lot of ways reminds me of LeBron. Um, and this reminds me of LeBron in 2013. If you guys remember when he had that, like, he had this long 30-point uh, streak, uh, but also like shooting 60% or something. He was like playing efficiency games um, during this little streak in Miami because he had just like just mastered all of his powers by that point. And the roster was one that he was just so like locked into when it came to, you know, Bosch now at the five and Batty at the four and Ray Allen and all that. Like he had become so you know, basically one with the with the system that he could play these efficiency games. I think Jokic is doing the same thing right now where it's like, what if I just went five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games of only taking the very best shots possible, right? Now, again, in a playoff series, you can't do that, right? It's like, no, you got to force the issue. You got to make defenses respect you. You got to blah, blah, blah. But what if in the regular season against the likes of Charlotte and Detroit and whoever... I just decided I'm only going to take the very best shots. And what could that do for my efficiency? That's what it feels like Jokic is doing right now. We all have to find ways to get through the regular season. And for us, that's making up dumb bits on this podcast. And yes. for them, it's like, okay, can I only pass tonight? Or can I only dominate as a scorer tonight? You got to get through it. 
Who's making up dumb bits for this podcast? <laughs> I didn't. I, sorry. Uh. <laughs> um, all right. That's it for us. We'll be back on Sunday. Uh, thank you to Jack Sanders on production. Thank you to Ben Cruz. We'll see you next time. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.